Well, thank you, Corey, for that song. That certainly is appropriate as we open God's Word together in Acts chapter 2. And once again, we come to the fourth and, and final essential that we see was part of the heart and focus of the early church. All four of these are interrelated and they work in concert with one another, expressing that to which believers devoted themselves to in relationship uh, to Jesus Christ and also uh, to one another. We see this in Acts uh, 2.42, and we see that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which would be biblical teaching. They were devoted to fellowship, which meant that they were sharing... uh, together, uh, the things that they had, uh, and also, in particular, around the things of Christ. As an expression of that, they were devoting themselves to the breaking of bread, which was both the the common meal being shared uh, among believers, much like we share meals with family and with friends and those around us. Uh, And then, uh, lastly, and also communion, as part of their worship, was part of the breaking of bread. And then finally, uh, but not least of all, was they were devoted to prayer. Well, we as believing people are likewise to devote ourselves to these same four uh, essentials that are part uh, of the church if we will function and be the church that God has ordained us uh, to be. To neglect, uh, to ignore, To set aside or to replace any of these will result in the church failing in her purpose as an effective witness for Jesus Christ. That means that if you uh, sort of set aside any one of these four, you'll be as useful as a three-legged chair or a car with only three inflated tires. Uh, You'll be like four-part harmony with one part missing and you know something is just off and is not as it should be. Well, Acts 2.42 tells us that believers devoted themselves to prayer. Now, we could spend much time uh, uh, studying this subject of prayer, and the the Bible says a lot about that. Uh, But our purpose this morning is just to look at that, that concept and that, that exhortation that we are to be praying people in more of a broad sense. Uh, I think that sometimes, and this is true of me, we can be very schooled and very knowledgeable on biblical prayer, yet, yet we often lack the actual practice and participation in prayer. Have you found that to be true? You know, the books on prayer, and I've got a lot of them in my library, and you probably do as well, and they're good resources. They're, by all means, take advantage of those who've studied this and learned from them. But I found often that I read those books and then don't follow through with application. But with all of these, we are to put these things into practice in our lives, devoting ourselves to biblical teaching, uh, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and finally, to prayer. Now, I just want to spend a little bit of time here just briefly just giving us some general thoughts on prayer. You may already know this, but 
Prayer is not unique to Christianity or to Judaism. Most of the religions of the world practice some form of prayer. But what sets apart the Christ follower is that when we pray, we are heard and answered by the true and living God. There's a, there's a perfect example of this that comes to us out of the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 18 with a man by the name of Elijah. And there was in that chapter a challenge that was set forth between Elijah and the 400 prophets of Baal. Baal was a false god, a god that didn't exist, but it was a god that the people of those days were worshiping as, as a god. Uh, and Elijah set a... Uh, challenge before them and said, let's prepare a sacrifice. And the God who answers by fire is the living God, the true God. 1824, I believe. And if you look at verse, uh, if, you're, if you want to turn to the passage, 1 Kings uh, 18 and verse 36, uh, it says here that um, Elijah, the prophet, came near, and this was his prayer. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, Lord. Answer me that this people might know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back. See, up to this point, the 400 prophets of Baal were doing all that they could to get Baal, their god, to answer. Uh, And they prepared sacrifices on two different altars. Now, Elijah instructed them prior to this to dump water on the sacrifice four times over to the point that the the sacrifice was just drenched. Uh, probably so that nobody could read the account and say, well, maybe there was uh, spontaneous combustion or a spark or somebody you know, flung their, 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 their cigarette butt in it and it started it on fire or whatever. Um, but, he, but he offered this simple prayer after they had spent so much time you know, dancing around and screaming and, and, and conjoling and even cutting themselves, wanting their God to answer. And Elijah says, the one who answers by fire is, the, is God. And lo and behold, we read, verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and even licked up the water that was in the trench. It's, it's, it's as if the Lord is saying, I'm not going to just answer by fire and consume the sacrifice. I'm going to consume it all so that it's just a pile of ash and you realize that it was me that answered. And the people responded in awe. They fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Uh, and uh, then the prophets of Baal were then executed because that was part of the, uh, the response to these false prophets. See, when you and I pray to God, we, we have a relationship with the true and living God in that he not only hears us when we pray, but that he answers prayer. When I was an intern year, many years ago now, a uh, pastoral intern and different things I would share with my mentor pastor uh, and, 
And it was an answer to prayer. He used to always say, I'm happy, but I'm not surprised. I'm happy, but I'm not surprised. As though it's, it's kind of an oddity that God would answer. There was a man in the church that used to travel south for the winter, one of our snowbirds from up north. Uh, and uh, one of the times in Sunday school class, we were talking about this subject of prayer. And he says, when I pray, he says, I expect God to answer. And that always stuck with me, that it's not just that we, we, we pray and we like, well, I hope he heard what I said. I hope that he responds. No, God always hears and God always answers when we pray. The problem is, is that he doesn't always answer in the way that maybe we anticipate. See, prayer can be defined as the believer's communication and communion with God through Jesus Christ. It is conversation with God, God who hears and God who responds. And prayer, our prayer to God is to involve, first of all, adoration, which is worship of God. How often do I jump right into prayer for whatever the situation might be and I forget that I'm coming before a holy and sovereign and perfect God. And I just jump right in with all of my requests. You know. um, but adoration is to be part of our prayer where we worship God in our prayer, that we adore him for who he is. We, we think deeply about his character and his nature. Just as the children this past week were learning that God is faithful, do you think about that or, or any of the other attributes of God when you come before him in prayer? And thank him for that, that he is faithful. And worship him for that. You know, our prayer should also include confession. Confession of sin. Because, like all of us, we're, we're sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, and we're fallen, and we fall short. And even after coming to Christ, you've probably discovered that you still fail in sin. And uh, we need to keep short accounts with God, as it's been said, and, you know, confess our sins, and Scripture tells us that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So we come before him and we confess where we've fallen short. But then our prayer also should include thanksgiving and praise. <laughs> That's, that might be a little bit different uh, than, than just the worship itself and adoration in that we're, we're thankful and grateful to God uh, for his work within our lives. We praise him. Uh, you can actually break out into praise and sing if you'd like. Maybe you have a voice that you only like to hear it in the shower because it's just, you know, you and God, but that's okay. You know, the scripture says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And so he's not offended by your voice if it's off key. He wants you to sing as unto him. And then prayer should include supplication. And that is our requests uh, that we bring before him. If you want a way to remember that, it's ACTS. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And prayer is a humble relationship with God where we are dependent upon him and we are honest in our communication with him. Well, what are some biblical exhortations about prayer? Well, very briefly, Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, and he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Have you ever prayed about something to the point that maybe you just thought, what's the use? But Jesus says, you know, we're to persist, if you would, in prayer. Continue in prayer. 
Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Even though the answer may not have come yet, still wait upon me until you get a definite answer from God where God might say no, or I want you to do it this way, or go this direction, or change your thinking or your course in what you're bringing before him. You know, Romans 12, 12 tells us, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Faithfulness has with it that idea that you, you follow through, you continue, you press on. It'd be a good name for a prayer group, Romans 12, 12. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17 says, rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, those are three uh, exhortations there. Prayer is but one of them. But notice what Paul says as he concludes this, the, these. He says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know, at least in part, what God's will for you is in Jesus? That you pray continually. That you pray continually. And in Acts 2.42, our, our main text for this morning, we see that the believers devoted themselves. This was an action of the heart. This was a commitment that they made. This was a response that they were bringing to their relationship with God through Christ. And they purposefully, intentionally, with forethought, devoted themselves to prayer. And, you know, in Acts, we have... Uh, a multitude of examples of prayer. Um, I find it interesting that uh, these believers in Acts were devoted to prayer, uh, and depending on the translation you have of this particular phrase, it says, and the prayers. A little article there that, that is there, some, some of the translations just say to prayer or to prayers. Uh, the only reason why I bring that up is because uh, when, when the article is there, some see in that that these prayers were seen as formal, formal prayers. Um, in fact, Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, they continued to go to the temple at the hour of prayer. And I'm sure that when they were at the temple praying, they were probably using the Old Testament prayers that they had learned being schooled in that, in Judaism, and that was part of their prayer life to God in response to him. It kind of reminds me of when I first came to faith in Jesus Christ. I was raised in the Greek Orthodox Church, and there were a lot of prayers that were prayers that you memorized, that were just part of the rote and the ritual of, of the worship service. And I can remember uh, at the young age of uh, 14, being a new believer in Jesus, that I was still a, be a part of the church. And all of a sudden, those prayers that I recited sometimes, you know, since I was a kid learning them, they took on new meaning. They had life. They had significance. Why? Because now inside, not just externally, I knew this Lord whom I was praying to in the past. And so they devoted themselves to prayer in that they, they did have these formal times of prayer and they included formal prayers. Uh, I would encourage you, if you don't have it in your library, that you get a copy of the book called Valley of the Vision. Uh, and it's a, a collection of Puritan prayers. Uh, and that is a great work 
to sort of stimulate your thinking about how people have, have written down their prayers. That's kind of interesting in that we have a compilation of that today from, from centuries ago of people who have prayed before God. And you, you realize when you start to read those prayers, that is so unlike how I pray in many instances. And Oh, is there more that I need to know in my walk with God in relationship to this idea and this reality of prayer? Now, um, in the book of Acts, we see uh, several examples recorded of prayer. There are 18 in all that I've counted up. I'm not going to give us all 18 this morning, so uh, put your mind at ease with that. But you'll notice that in these examples, the few that I will share with us, that there was both private, or if you prefer, individual prayer, and then there was corporate prayer, where believers got together for the purpose of praying together. And so let me just share a few of these uh, with you. Um, I'll give you the references. I'll turn, we'll turn to just two. But um, you'll remember already we've seen in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14 uh, that the disciples were continually devoting themselves to prayer. In other words, they joined together constantly to pray. We have the key verse in 242 that we've been looking at as one of the top four things that they did as a church body together. In Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31, there's one of their prayers recorded for us, for our benefit, for our instruction. And it was prayed in response to threats that were brought to them. Their first response was to take it to the Lord in prayer. And what a tremendous prayer they prayed. And again, ask yourself as you read that, is this the way I pray in my prayer life and in my relationship with God? And God responded with shaking the place so mightily, and they were filled with boldness, and they spoke the word of God boldly. That was part of one of their requests. I find it interesting that in Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, and we'll get to this in its context, but the apostles said they were going to devote themselves to two main things, to the word of God and to prayer. And you say, well, you're apostles. You ought to be doing this and doing this and doing this and doing this. And this. No, the main thing that we are devoted to is to the Word of God, the ministry of the Word, and to prayer. Right. And I, I've been challenged by that verse because I, uh, I love to study God's Word and teach it to God's people and whoever will listen. Uh, and I've also wanted to be more of a man of prayer. Uh, and I may have shared this with you. Uh, I wrote this down somewhere. The thought came to me, probably the Lord reminding me of this. Uh, if you want to be a man of prayer, then you need to pray. There's, there's no other way around it. I mean, if you want to be a Christian who is known as a, a person of prayer, the only way you can do that is by praying. It's a spiritual discipline. And none of us like that word discipline. You know, it's got a negative connotation, but it's it's where we build up our muscle. It's, it's exercise. The more you do it, the better, if you would, if I, without sounding mechanical, you, the better you become at praying. But you have to exercise that. You know. um, I find it interesting that in Acts chapter 10, we're not going to go through that. That's a whole passage. We will get to that. Cornelius is praying. Peter is praying. They're got, brought together in the purposes of God through prayer. You have in chapter 12, where, where Peter, and this is the one I'd have us turn to, Acts chapter 12 and verse 5, Peter is arrested and in prison for preaching Jesus Christ. 
we may not be far off from that uh, in our day. So Peter was kept in prison, we're told, Acts 12, verse 5. But notice this, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And if you jump down to verse 12, they realize that Peter is released, or at least Rhoda does. It says, he went into the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. The reason why I'm emphasizing that is because you might say to yourself, well, they can all just pray wherever they were. That's true, they could. But they came together for the express purpose of seeking God on behalf of Peter and desiring the will of God for Peter's benefit and for the benefit of the church. And see, so many times we, we do pray individually, but we lack sort of that spirit of prayer when we come together. And we certainly do need more of that. In fact, if you turn over just one chapter to chapter 13 in Acts, they're at the church of Antioch. There's a listing of those who were there. And they're together prayer and fasting. They're, they're worshiping God. Interesting, they're coming together and they're fasting now, how many of you are ready to sign up if I say, okay, next Sunday we're going to come together and we're going to fast and we're going to pray? Woohoo! <laughs> the first thing I'd do is go to the kitchen and get my cup of coffee you know, on Sunday morning. But they, they were, were wed, wedding together, fasting, which is, which is a whole other subject in itself, and prayer that they might seek God. And notice what happened. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I called them. And out of that prayer meeting, if you would, that time of prayer and worship, God sets apart those that he wants to use for a special purpose. Remember, Jesus said to his disciples, Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send out workers into his harvest. Do you know? I met with a district superintendent here a few weeks back. He told me, right now in the Alliance, as true in a lot of denominations, there are a number of churches that can't find pastors because people aren't going into the ministry. Why is that? Can it be that we are not praying more fervently that God would lay upon the hearts of individuals to serve him with full-time Christian work? And notice this, verse 3, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And then begins the tremendous Acts 13 through 28, the missionary journeys of Paul that we'll eventually get to, maybe in a couple of years, I guess, if the Lord doesn't come back first. In chapter 21 and verse 5, Paul was sent off uh, by prayer. And I find it interesting that in that chapter 21, I didn't have that listed here. I looked at it before the service. Acts chapter 21 verse 5 tells us, and when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with their wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. The thing that I want you to see here is that when Paul was ready to take off, they, they had a prayer meeting. 
And it didn't include just the elders of the church or the church leadership. It says they were there with their wives and their children. They were all together praying to send Paul off. I think the church, particularly in this country, is lacking in this whole reality of needing to pray. And pray together as the body of Christ. Acts 22.17 says Paul was in the temple praying. Well, why did he need to go there? Can't God hear you wherever you are? Of course he can. But remember what Jesus said? The temple was at least still standing. Jesus said concerning his father's house, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. And you know, that was not just the words of Jesus. That was also Isaiah 56 and verse 7 in the Old Testament as well. Where God's people gather, the temple, that's to be a place of prayer. And it's to be for everyone, for all the nations of the world. And then lastly, in Acts 28 and verse 8, when Publius was sick um, and there was a need there, Paul prayed uh, and the Lord answered prayer and there was healing. So, we, we see these examples in Acts, both private and, uh, private and corporate prayer, which means they prayed together. Um, the record affirms uh, in this book of Acts that they devoted themselves to prayer in general and also at all times and on all occasions. In fact, as I thought about that phrase, and uh, I thought, that sounds familiar. Well, lo and behold, it was actually a scripture verse. Uh, and it comes out of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 where we read, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people or for the saints. I find it interesting that that verse comes in the context where Paul is talking about wearing the armor of God. And you know, prayer is a spiritual discipline. We call it that. But you know, prayer is also spiritual warfare. It is where the battle is won through Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual discipline and it's a spiritual warfare. Is that sometimes why we fail to pray as we should? Maybe that's why we fail to see as a priority prayer together. Uh, you might say, well... I can pray at home. That is true. But we see by way of example of the, the church in its beginnings that they came together with the express purpose to pray. And we're going to see in a couple of weeks what the outcome of these four essentials were among themselves and to the community at large. Do you see the church having that kind of impact on communities today? Not very much. Maybe it's because we're neglecting one or several or maybe all four of these that God said are essential for the body of Christ. You might say to yourself, well, when we come together for prayer, I don't like to pray out loud. You know, others, others pray so eloquently and know exactly the right words and to listen to them is like, oh, 
But who said you had to pray like that? In fact, I found it interesting that John MacArthur in his little booklet called Spiritual Boot Camp, talking about some of the very essentials of the Christian life, uh, wrote these words on prayer. Uh, he said, he's talking about communication and how communication is a part of life uh, through just natural relationships. And he said, it's, it's the same with Christians who desire to respond to God's presence and grace by communicating with him. He delights in our prayers, Proverbs 15 and verse 8. He wrote, the level of some people's communication with God is little poems such as, now I lay me down to sleep. Others use eloquent words, deep theological truths, and lots of these and thous. Neither of these extremes is wrong when offered from a pure heart, but the essence of prayer is talking to God as you would talk to a beloved friend without pretense, and without flippancy. Scripture is God's communication to us. Prayer is our communication to him. Apart from the word, prayer is one-sided conversation. That's why it's important that we also study Scripture. You say, I don't like to be in corporate prayer because I don't like to pray out loud. Well, you can pray in your heart, but the next time you're in a setting with fellow believers, and it's not your strength or even your desire to speak out loud. Pray and keep your focus on the Lord and as though it's just the two of you. How would you talk to him normally in your prayer? Why would I pray differently if you would publicly than I would in private? Is it for a pretense? Is it for a show? Is it for... And if, and if you're wanting to address God and say thou and thee, by all means do that. But if you fumble for the right words, you're not alone. God knows our heart. In fact, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us sometimes when we can't form the words, when we don't know what to pray. But you know, we need to be people of prayer. Um, and we as a church need to spend more or less time in prayer. What do you think the answer is? What's that? More time together? Yes or no? Now see, that wasn't as strong when I said together. Did you catch that? So are we going to practice what we preach and what we affirm? See, uh, in the statement of practice that we have that went along with our statements of faith here a few weeks back that we handed out, under the topic of prayer we wrote, we believe prayer is conversation with the living God who hears and responds. And we'd all say yes and amen to that. Therefore, well, how will we respond to that? We will pray expectantly about everything. Isn't that a biblical teaching? If I could paraphrase, pray about everything and worry about nothing. I think that's Ephesians, uh, excuse me, Philippians 4.4. 4. That's the Joseph version, so don't, don't, don't mark that down. Go back and read the actual text. 
But how? How, how are we going to, to express this among ourselves? By prioritizing prayer together. Together. Why is it that when we sometimes call for prayer, there's just a few that show up? I'm not faulting you for that. But you have to ask yourself the question, why is prayer not a priority for me as a child of God with other children of God when there's a call to prayer? We're prioritizing prayer together in accordance with God's word. So there are teachings in God's word on how to pray. With the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit even when we pray. Many times when we open Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, uh, I open that time of prayer and say, Lord, lead us even in our time of prayer because we need you. Because we don't know how to pray as we should many times. As we faithfully also are praying in private. In private. Now, I have to commend our congregation that we are a praying church, but there's always room for improvement. There's always room for growth. And in fact, uh, we have times of corporate prayer. Uh, let me just share some examples with you. Wednesday night, we have prayer, what we call prayer meeting or Bible study and prayer. Uh, every week, and it's on the back table there, you have uh, missionary letters that are printed off week to week of updates of our missionaries serving there. There's also listed in there uh, prayer requests from the Alliance across the country and across the world. You also have prayer requests that are in reference to our own church, various needs that we're facing, difficulties people are facing as individuals, opportunities. There's a listing of the ministries that we have, and on a rotation, we're to pray over the ministries of this congregation. And you say, well, how can the men of old and women of old who spent an hour or two hours or three hours in prayer, how did they do that? The list is endless of what you can come before the Lord and intercede for others on their behalf. Just look at those prayer packets. We rarely get through every single one, even just in our own congregational needs, because there's so much that we need to, to come before the Lord in humble dependence and say, God, we're dependent upon you for all things, and even in these specific circumstances, we need you, because apart from you, we can't do anything. We are helpless. So, Lord, show us your will and show us your ways. We also have, as I've already said here, at least in part, the ladies meet uh, in Romans 12.12 12 for prayer. And you can see Emily Hamilton about that. If you want to know when those times are to meet, they're, they're listed in the bulletin. We also pray as a spiritual life committee, elders and deacons. I have to say that there have been some times that we've canceled uh, spiritual life committee because there wasn't a lot on the agenda and I've been exhorted uh, why don't we come together and just pray you see even pastors don't always do what they should I have to commend also the governing board that every time we meet as a governing board you are being prayed for as well because it's not just business it's not just the budget and, and uh, you know, things that have to be done in terms of physical things. It's meant to be spiritual. It's meant to have that component of prayer, of dependence upon God. 
we have the prayer chain that you faithfully have responded to when there are emergencies and needs that are there. Not even always for a prayer need, but even when there's a physical need, you've responded overwhelmingly when the word is put out. And I trust that this fall with COVID, uh, at least somewhat behind us, that we can once again restart community groups. Because in those community groups, one of the facets of that community group is not only to build community and fellowship, but also to be in prayer for one another uh, as a church body. And you know, there will be more opportunities that will be forthcoming of times for us to pray together as a church. So stay tuned and be ready and be prepared to join in and to pray. See, prayer in Acts was the first response and the ongoing lifeblood of the church in relationship to God. Believers, we are to pray first. We are to pray always. And we are to pray expectantly or with expectation. One last verse that I share with us, Matthew 18. These are the words of Jesus. And notice this great promise from our great God. Notice what Jesus said. Matthew 18, 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them in their midst. Isn't that a great promise? Is it a promise that we can claim in faith through Jesus Christ and expect great things from God, and as Carrie put it, attempt great things for God? Shall we pray? Father, we are reminded from our study of your word this morning that prayer is really our lifeline and our lifeblood in our relationship to you. We thank you and praise you, O God, that you not only hear us when we pray, but that you answer prayer. You answer perfectly, O God, according to your will. You answer, Lord, in ways that are for our good. You know what is best. And you answer, Lord, so that your glory will be made known, will be manifest, will be seen. We ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would enhance and burden us greater with a dependence upon you in prayer. We ask, O oh God, that you would do that in our private walk with you, our personal time with you. But also, Father, when we come together, that we will indeed pray. And Lord, may we do that from a sincere heart, 
from a desire, Lord, to please you. And above all else, Lord, to have our lives and the work of this local body line up with your will for us. So that in all things, Jesus Christ will be proclaimed, he will be magnified, he will be made known, and ultimately that he will be trusted and worshipped by others along with ourselves. And Father, for what you are doing and what you will do in these days to come, we look to you in faith and we trust you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.